everybody. Uh, I'm Jason Soto. I'm Rob Branch. And uh, we are the hosts of the podcast Cinegamer. It is a podcast that takes a look at board games that is based on movies, TV shows, books. Uh, what else is there, Rob? Pam- pamphlets? Uh, pamphlets. We put the thin in games. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh come check us out over at rabbitholepodcast.com or you can uh check us out on anchors spotify google apple anywhere you get podcasts from definitely check us out and we are definitely if you couldn't so, tell are we on stitcher too we're on stitcher yeah hey how about that we're on stitcher also yeah so check us out in all those places and we are definitely adult orientated don't let the board game thing fool you so come check us out, rabbitholepodcast.com. We're adults. I don't know how you're listening to this podcast, whether it's from Spotify or Anchor or Google or Apple or any other third-party podcatcher that I don't know exists. Or maybe you're listening to this directly from rabbitholepodcast.com. Either way, you probably see the Rabbit Hole Podcast name and say to yourself, man, that Jason Soto has his life together. He created a podcast network, hosts and or produces at least 12 podcasts. He seems like someone who knows what's what. Well, Mr. or Mrs. whatever your name is, I'm sorry to tell you that I do not have my shit together. I never did. The closest I've ever had my shit together was back in 1998, the year I graduated high school. I selected the college I was going to go to and become an English major so I could become a writer. In the dark winter between 1998 and 1999, I started contemplating film school. I stopped writing stories, novels, essays, and started writing scripts. I had several movie ideas in my head. I wanted to make movies. God damn it, I'm going to go to film school. And I lived in a suburb of Chicago, and the nearest film school was Columbia College in downtown Chicago. Now, using my current college's T3 internet connection, I looked up information on Columbia College, which is kind of like using your girlfriend's phone at her house to call another girl you're thinking about dating. And I saw it was expensive as fuck. Right now, in 2022, if you want to go to Columbia for the 2022-2023 school year, when everything is said and done, it's going to cost you $27,000. It costs you more to learn about how to make a movie like PCU than PCU ever made back. Yes, I'm going to be using PCU as my measure of success. Sorry, PCU. Anyway, translate $27,000 to 1999 money and, well, it was hopeless for me. I know, they have financial aid and I could take loans. Yeah, sure. (sighs) While I was learning about film school, I went all in and learned about film. Yes, at this point, I was very much a movie nerd. I watched all kinds of movies from every walk of life. But now I was going to learn about fancy films. Jean-Luc Godard, Andy Warhol, Kurosawa. And while looking up fancy movies on primitive internets, David Lynch got thrown around somewhat. David Lynch? The guy that made Twin Peaks? I love Twin Peaks. I love that show so much that when the movie Fire Walk With Me came out, I watched it and regretted watching it in the same room as my grandmother. But we'll talk about that when we cover Fire Walk with me on this show. Yes, I plan on covering mostly all of Lynch's 90 films on this show. Just so happened that today's movie came up first when I spin the wheel. 
Anyway, yeah, yeah, David Lynch. He's like the perverted fancy director. He makes stunning films featuring stark images of a carpeted lobby of a hotel. The next scene is someone getting butt-fucked roughly, followed by two minutes of silence, then a fat woman's tits. Shit, maybe David Lynch isn't a fancy director and he was only put on that list as a joke. I didn't know what trolling was back in 1999. I believed everything that I read on the internet was true. David Lynch gets a lot of shit for his movies because they're weird and people think that they're weird just to be weird. And to that I say, so what? Yes, they are weird just to be weird. David Lynch thinks of weird shit, writes it into his movies, and he gets to make these weird things come to life. How do they fit into a plot of a movie? Who fucking cares? If he told a linear story, could his movies maybe be shorter? Yeah, probably. Would they be fun? No, they'd be boring as fuck. I discovered Lynch's films a little bit later in my life. Like I said, I only knew him from Twin Peaks. In 1997, he released Lost Highway, which, yes, will get covered in the show eventually. I didn't see it until a year later, and I didn't really get it. Then I went backwards through my 20s and watched Blue Velvet, which was a little weird but cool. Eraserhead, which was really fucking weird. And I was stoned out of my goddamn mind when I watched Inland Empire. So I thought I understood what was happening, but I'd be goddamned if I can remember anything about it now. Mulholland Drive is probably his most recent reachable film that you know a non-Lynch fan can watch and only be sort of weirded out. But for some reason, this movie escaped me. I've never seen it until I planned this episode. Alright, the most interesting part of the show, the factoid time. Wild at Heart came out in August of 1990, making this the earliest movie we have covered to date. I know most people think the 90s didn't really start until like 1992. I've relaxed the the rules in the show a little bit. And basically, if a movie came out between January 1st, 1990 and December 31st, 1999, it's going to be covered on this show. The budget was $10 million, it earned $14 million. The movie got mixed reviews with basically people not really understanding what they were watching. And honestly, I get it. I don't think David Lynch's films can be a critical success. He makes films for people that like his films. Note, I didn't say understand his films, just like them. Uh, the cast includes a 20-year-old Laura Dern, her actual real-life mother, Diane Ladd, Willem Dafoe, Crispin Glover shows up for weird two minutes, uh, Isabella Rossellini, most of the cast of Twin Peaks, and Harry Dean Stanton. Oh, I'm forgetting somebody, aren't I? <sighs> All right, let's talk about it. The man, the myth, the legend that is Nicolas Cage. I'm as surprised as you are that this is the first time Nick Cage has shown up on this show. I figured we'd be doing Con Air or The Rock or Face Off before we even get to Wild at Heart. And I'm surprised that Nick Cage doesn't show up in other David Lynch films. I mean, you'd think they'd be a good pairing. Now, you have to understand uh, that this is 1990 Nick Cage. He just won an Oscar for Moonstruck a couple years prior. And he's not exactly wild and weird Cage yet. But you can see the start of it here. I mean, hell, in the first scene, we get some wild Cage acting. Why hasn't he shown up in, say, Lost Highway or Inland Empire or even Mulholland Drive? I mean, imagine him as the hitman in Mulholland Drive. Man, I want to live in that universe. Okay, this is probably the longest goddamn introduction I've ever done to this show. I didn't even get into the fact that this movie is based on a book, and Lynch liked it except for the ending. I guess we'll have to talk about that later. 
and my guest has probably fallen asleep, so let's start the show. Today on oh, That's the Bomb, Yo, I welcome a David Lynch and Nicolas Cage fanatic, Jim Foley, as we tell you why Wild at Heart is a hella rad movie from the 90s. Look like a clown in that stupid jacket. This is a snakeskin jacket. And for me, it's a symbol of my individuality and my belief in personal freedom. Love me Everybody, welcome to That's the Bomb, yo, 90 hella rad movies from the 90s. I am your host, Jason Soto. My guest today is uh, a self-proclaimed fan of all things David Lynch and Nicolas Cage. He Very is, self. He is a friend of our friend, uh, Lisa Leahy, so he comes highly recommended. Uh, Jim Foley. Hello, Jim. How are you? I'm good, Jason. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. We are covering a the most David Lynchiest '90s film I have seen to date, and I have seen all the movies that I just talked about. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, Wild at Heart, you this is this is a great combination for you because you <laughs> like David Lynch and you like Nicolas Cage. So, what is is it? Just those two things you like about this movie, or is there other things? Oh, there, there's a lot of things I like about this movie. I uh, and the the the, uh, the thing I have been sort of amassing my David Lynch uh, expertise over the years, and I figure like oddly this this is the one. If I were instructing someone on how to watch David Lynch movies, this is one of the last ones that I would say <laughs> they should watch. I think not really? because it's bad, not because it's bad, but because like I. I feel like it is still. It, it, I think it's at a moment where David Lynch is kind of s- still started, still becoming David Lynch, and it and it and it's a little bit, it, it's a little bit sloppy in that sense. But in the sense that he's like in the context of his career, and in the sense that Nicolas Cage is probably my favorite actor. The like oh. this is a blast for this movie. Yeah, th- this this movie. Is like a very weird like crux for both David Lynch and Nicolas Cage because this is kind of like, you know, David Lynch always made really weird movies like his entire mm-hmm. filmography. Like I said, Eraserhead was in the seventies. That was fucking balls to the wall nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like this is like the start of like, you know, reachable to the public, to the general movie-going audience, David Lynch. You know what I mean? Like, this isn't, like, some weird short film he made and you have to go to, like, a video store on top of a mountain to find. You know what I mean? Like, this is this was released in theaters and, you know, people can go see it. And then you got Nicolas Cage, who was a pretty serious actor up to this point. Like, you know, like I said, he got, you know, he won the Oscar for Moonstruck. Couple years he didn't prior. Win. He actually didn't. I will correct you on that. He actually oh, didn't win until you're right. uh, leaving leaving Las Vegas. But you, you are right. Yes, yes. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Cher did win for Moonstruck. Though. I think but, that's what but, I was. I think I got those two things mixed up. I'm sorry. You're right. But he was nominated but, still. 
so still there's very that. celebrated act like yes. moonstruck was a super successful movie yes. he's very yes. like he's kind of nearing the top at this point yes he's not yet reached the the uh, <laughs> the wild the wild the, yeah. the well the mc hammer face of his career but there's parts of it save his money there's parts of it in this movie the first scene in this movie is him beating to death a man with his bare hands and he's going fucking ape shit on this guy. Uh-huh. And then he stops, pulls out a cigarette, and then he just points at Diane Ladd <laughs> in a very Nick Cage manner. Like the only way Nicolas Cage can ever point at somebody, he does yeah. it. And I'm Nobody like, oh. points like that. <laughs> points like that other than him. Like, and he does it in... <clears throat> He does it in uh, Vampire's Kiss. He does it in Face mm-hmm. Off. Like that—that is the Nicholas. That's Cage the Nicholas Cage point. point. Yeah, uh-huh. that is yes, that is indeed. Um, okay, let me go over a little bit of the plot uh, with the movie, in case anyone listening doesn't know what the hell this movie is about. And frankly, as someone who watched it, I don't even know what the hell the movie is about. But I'm going to give it a stab anyway. So it centers around uh, Nicholas Cage's character named Sailor. Uh, and his girlfriend Lula, played by Loris Loris Dern, and um, Lula's mother, whose name I forget right now, uh, but played by her real life mom Diane Ladd, um, does not approve of their relationship. And when Sailor goes to prison for a few months for killing the guy at the beginning, um, he gets out immediately, hooks up with Lula, and then they go on a road trip. The mom wants to kill uh, Nick Cage's character, Sailor, um, because you think it's partly he she doesn't approve of the relationship, but it's because he knows something about the death of Lula's father. It's a little convoluted in the middle here. So she hires – the mom hires a private investigator to look for him and then also hires these like mob guy, hitman people to go after him as well. And then weird David Lynch shenanigans ensue. We get shots of the highway that look, like look very familiar, might I add. Uh, <laughs> um, weird if people. Seen, if you've already seen the movie that came out later, yeah. <laughs> yeah, weird people just come and go. Um, there's some weird like Wizard of Oz references that's strewn mm. throughout the movie. I was going to ask you about that. Mm. Um, like, what do you think is up with the Wizard of Oz connection to this movie and Wizard of Oz? I think it's David Lynch's. Like, David Lynch is kind of a, uh, like, kind of obsessed with like Americana and like these, like the the kind of conservative American tropes. Like, they turn up in all his stuff. Like, uh, and like reaching, like, like he his characters like to a certain degree are kind of reaching for these. For like this this American dream type reality of like you know the house with the picket fence in the suburbs, um, and kind of like the the ideals that were set kind of by you know and I think including early American cinema like The Wizard of Oz like and he kind of uses that like a, a fairy tale as a frame for this story, uh, and of course perverts it in like in a spectacular way um <laughs> yes. but i think they're they're running off together over the rainbow is kind of the uh is kind of the parallel to that but they end up in middle of nowhere texas instead with willem dafoe 
<laughs> yeah. but, yes. um. and like Willem Dafoe he's credited third and he doesn't show up till like almost mm-hmm. an hour hour and a half to the movie and it's like a two hour two hour twenty minute kind of if I yeah. remember correctly length movie so he's only in the last act of the movie um, which is interesting because I kept, I kept thinking I missed him <laughs> I was I like, know, well, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> I I had seen this movie before, and I'd forgotten that he doesn't show up until much, much later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's basically the kind of the plot is. It's kind of like a, it's a road trip movie. They're trying. They're on the run of sorts. He becomes a fugitive because he's breaking uh, his parole for leaving town. Um, uh, this starts in Cape Fear, by the way. I want to say that mm. I, I love that the yeah. opening says Cape Fear, and you think for a second. If I was running this in the video store, I would have thought I got the wrong movie. <laughs> yeah. It's it's definitely the the third best movie that opens with that title. Cape Fear. <laughs> there are two others I can think of that might, yeah. <laughs> that might fall into that. But then mm. yeah, so they they leave Cape Fear. And they're they dr- they're drawing the road. Um, that we we do a stop in uh, New Orleans, um, and then uh, they leave again. Um, and then what's what I kind of what's interesting about this is like this is based on a book, and I could tell what parts were in the book and what parts I think David Lynch oh, yeah. added, because <laughs> the parts that make sense are from the book. <laughs> And then the parts that don't make sense, I think Lynch just added. Like for That's example, kind of, yeah, yeah, go. The interrog- I'm gonna say I'm gonna say interrogation scene of the detective. That's 100% David Lynch. Mm. <laughs> Do you agree? Yeah, I would say. Well, like there's he collaborates with uh, authors and like kind of well, like like Barry Gifford, who's the co-author of this and of uh, uh, Lost Highway. Um, and like, I think it's the same is true of Mark Frost who created, uh, Twin Peaks with him, but like the co-creator is the one who supplies the linear story, (laughs) like the, the, the frame, like, uh, like, like the, the, the thing that starts at a beginning and ends at an end. Mm -hmm. And he kind of, he supplies the sort of film language that shifts it around and kind of moves the order and and kind of makes it his so i think yeah like like that's why i think his best work is actually the stuff he collaborates with people on because it's grounded yeah and so like, yeah I, I i yeah i do agree even though he solo i believe he solo did uh Mulholland drive which is yeah, probably his I, most like sensical piece <laughs> piece of work um, it's pretty out there though like it is drive. and and it's uh that was to think that 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 was supposed to be a tv show like, yes and, and you can kind of see like yes the thing that strike struck me about Mulholland drive is that it was like you can kind of see where it stops becoming the first two episodes of a series and mm-hmm. then like kind of wraps up at the end yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I I I I kind of would have liked to have known like what the TV show version of that would have been like. So I'm very curious. Billy Ray Cyrus's character would have been fleshed out. <laughs> he would have had a whole episode dedicated to himself. Um so okay, so this movie uh like I said at the beginning, I've not this is the first time I've seen it. Um but this this shows up like a lot. Um when people are talking about Nick Cage films, hmm. um, 
and less so David Lynch movies. It's it's more of like you know these are the most Nick Cage movies that exist. Here's Wild at Heart, and I find that very fascinating because you know you would think this would have been more of like this is a David Lynch movie, um, mm. but people more you know correlate this to a Nick Cage movie than they do a David Lynch movie. Like, do you think that's fair or no? I I think that is kind of fair because I think as a like as a I don't know, as a, 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 from a storytelling point of view, this is not Lynch's best work. But I think this kind of encapsulates, like, Nicolas Cage's joy of performance in a lot of ways. For one thing, he loves Elvis, and he, yes. gets, to be, he gets to be Elvis in this <laughs> yes, movie. Yes, yes. Um, and it's, like, he, somebody said, um, I, for, I forgot who I saw, somebody, somebody tweeted that, like, Nick, uh, Jared Leto is the guy that people think Nicolas Cage is. Uh but, but Nicolas Cage is a much like better, more joyous performer. Like like people look at like method actors and they lo- kind of lump Nicolas Cage in with them. Um but like he's got such a like a verve behind him. Like he's he's got such a like an embodiment but like there's he like none of the kind of I don't know none of the meanness that i'd see like in a lot of like jared leto's and daniel day lewis's like mm-hmm. i feel like he he's very much in this role but he's like having a blast with it and this is like i this is i think it's, this is just one of those super like uh effusive uh expressionist performances that he does best so that's why i think it is it is a better example of a nicholas cage movie than it is of a david lynch indeed i yeah uh, um <clears throat> so, so now now talking about the David Lynch aspect of this film, mm-hmm. I got it. I got to share an antidote. Um, when I started watching this movie the other day, I was by myself. I was at home alone. I had some time, so I I watched it. I started mm-hmm. it about twenty five minutes into the movie. There's a scene where Diane Ladd and Henry Dean Stanton are just they're just in a room, they're like in the living room. They're mm-hmm. talking about going to you know find Sailor and Lula. Uh, they're just, it's just a conversation. Nothing weird is happening. It's just a conversation. And then my fiance walks in, she comes home and she looks at the mm-hmm. screen and just without any prodding, she says, is this a David Lynch movie? <laughs> and I said, how did you know? And she's like, it just looks like a David Lynch movie. And it was just two people talking. <laughs> like it wasn't the weird shit happening. It wasn't the, you know, he wasn't tied up yet with the lipstick on the tape and the one dude you know gyrating you know with his body yeah. and and all this stuff. like no it was just two people talking so it i think that speaks volumes to like how much of a style david lynch has okay. that he can just record a, a scene with two people just talking and you just go david lynch i think that's fascinating <laughs> because like when you say david lynch to someone who hasn't or, or like someone who's not like super familiar with a lot of his work and only kind of knows the tropes like the you know frank booth from blue velvet with the you know the oxygen tank and right, right. you know twin peaks in the in the the black room with the uh with like the backwards talking mm-hmm. girl but like the uh like really like his quiet scenes like that are just kind of straightforward and um i don't know like kind of wholesome in a little bit like like or early <laughs> like they that 
that also signifies his work because I don't know if you've seen the straight story. Have you seen the straight story? You know what? I have not, and I don't know if I'm going to just because mm. of how off kilter it is. It's, I don't. I, I might some point. I contemplated covering it on the show, but I don't. I don't know. I, I I'm thinking about it, but I I, I don't it, know yet. It's kind. Of, yeah. It's it's like it's it's David Lynch, but stripped of all the like uh, abstract that's, storytelling. That's what I've heard. <clears throat> and it's but it, but the rest is still there. It's kind of like, um, it, it it's a it's a it's again kind of a movie about a, a about Americana and see like, um, seeking the kind of common humanity um uh, like among it, uh, amid, amid these kind of simple people. It's about a it's about a guy who rides his lawnmower half across <laughs> North Dakota yeah. to, to see his brother. Yep. Uh, and it's just kind <clears throat> of simple and character based and like that that sort of so in like that the scenes between Herodine Stanton and Diane Ladd kind of reminded me of that because they had kind of this like natural rhythm to them that seemed like these characters knew each other and was like and that was kind of heartwarming and you know until they killed him later (laughs) but like yeah yeah um so like you said David Lynch seems like obsessed with Americana he just likes Mm -hmm. He just likes his settings to be in small towns, and we get a small town here. They end up, uh, Sailor and Lula end up in um, Big Tuna, Texas, <laughs> which I almost want. Like, I almost want David Lynch to make a show that's centered around Big Tuna, Texas, because I think it'd be very fascinating. It'll just be like different stories of these people's lives, because some interesting characters live here. We get a scene where they're at a hotel or a motel. And uh, it's it's Sailor and Lula, and they're at a table drinking like whiskey and beer with all mm-hmm. the, like the people that's also in the hotel. Um, <clears throat> we meet like we meet these weirdos. I don't even know if half of them had names. I don't remember if they did. They just showed up on screen and just talked. Bobby um, Peru is the only one. Bobby that Peru. I remember, but... <laughs> Bobby Peru shows up, played by Willem yeah. Dafoe. He's got really nasty teeth, and he's got slicked back hair. He looks just like immediately somebody you do not want to touch or trust. <laughs> you don't want to do either thing. Uh, and he and um, he shows up. Um, and then I immediately, when this scene was happening, I immediately felt scared for Lula because I felt like something was going to happen. And again, I had not seen this movie before. So as this scene's playing out, I'm like, something's going to happen with Lula. I just feel it because these people are really weird. There's something off with all these pe- these weirdos. And then about five minutes later down the road, down you know in the movie, she's by herself in a hotel room and Sailor's out fixing a car somewhere and Bobby Peru shows up. And not only does he piss loudly <laughs> with the yeah, door right. o- with the door open in her room uh in the bathroom i should state and um he then starts like feeling up on her and yeah, he, he attacks her yeah uh, and, and in a very uncomfortable scene that made me cringe uh-huh. a little bit i mean you know like in a good way like it, i was like it's, oh. it's meant to yeah yeah like, exactly it's very but it, without like <clears throat> like lynch i mean like i don't i'm not gonna be super defensive of this scene because i don't think it i don't think it's that great i don't don't think i don't think the movie's that great in the end but like Mm. in okay but in this scene i will say i will say that like he gets that uh uncomfortable feeling across without seeming like he's being exploitative like it without and and being very clear that he's sort of respecting the actor particularly laura dern yeah who who actually who like is friends with him yeah like i think when if you're doing something like this like 
it's very like it's very risky that like you're you'll, you'll be using someone's trauma to like get cheap uh, I don't know get cheap tension out of it but it's like very it's very well filmed and it like just sort of crosses the line where like it gets across what it's meant to about this Willem Dafoe character and how terrible and sleazy he is mm-hmm. uh, without without being without being too exploitative without overdoing it like it, it really jo- like and, and he, like the the abrupt ending to it where <laughs> he says well sorry like, what is i forget what his yeah i forget what he is. said like, too but yeah he, he just yeah he just says maybe next time or oh because he was yeah. making her say fuck me bobby or yeah, something right and then she finally says it then he says okay maybe next time baby and then he just leaves and it, it gets across that it's about like like emotional manipulation that he wants to control her like right that is that was very well done right exactly um so then bobby comes to sailor and says you know um i've picked up that you guys you know you're running out of money you know i don't know if bobby knows the story that they're on the run or not i don't know about that but he picks up that you know they're running low on money they only have like 40 dollars left in their pocket and he says we're going to i'm going to do this bank robbery tomorrow uh i need someone to watch the door <clears throat> and he talks sailor into this and sailor doesn't want to do it um for i think a myriad of reasons I, you know one is he doesn't want to put himself in danger for lula's sake mm. Two, I think he was really worried about the, you know, the parole getting caught if he gets arrested or whatever. He's also, he's not going to get busted for the bank robbery. He gets busted for, you know, breaking parole. So he's trying, he's worried about that. He's worried about himself getting killed possibly. You know, there's a lot of things I can tell he was worried about, but he ends up doing it. <clears throat> he ends up mm-hmm. robbing the bank. And I, I'm going to say right now, I think that bank robbery scene is probably one of my favorite scenes in this movie. And this <laughs> movie had a lot of wacky scenes, a, a lot of wacky scenes in it. But yeah, this bank robbery, like when I say it goes wrong, I mean it goes uh-huh. wrong. Like everything you could possibly think of that could go wrong during a bank robbery went wrong, um, because this was also supposed to be a double cross. Bobby was supposed to kill Sailor during mm-hmm. this bank robbery. Um, but then at the same time, the driver, played by Isabella Rossellini, who I didn't really get into yet, um, mm. but she she's in this movie, and uh, she's the driver, and a cop goes up to her and just mm-hmm. starts, like, talking her up, has her yeah. robbing the bank, and then they leave the bank, and then through a bunch of shenanigans that's way too complicated, we need a flow chart to go over everything, yeah. Bobby ends up blowing his own head off into the yeah. shotgun. <laughs> Which that that Defoe is able to pull that off. Yes, that speaks to his performance. That, well, that he is able to be like, and I compare him to I'd compare him to Christoph Waltz in Inglorious Bastards, and that he's so able to be simultaneously so pernicious and so scary and so frightening, and yet also so buffoonish and stupid and and just like kind of clownish. Yes, like it, it speaks to his ability as an actor that like he can he can scare the crap out of out of you with that Laura Dern scene but then he you totally believe that he would kind of slip and blow his own head off with a shotgun, <laughs> with a shotgun yeah. yeah um so then this gets gets sailor he gets caught uh and he gets thrown to prison for five years five or six years um meanwhile lula is pregnant she finds out she's pregnant mm-hmm. um and uh much to the dismay of uh lula's mom 
and uh well, you frequently see they cut to earlier scenes of her just crying and, and crying into a glass of gin like, yeah and i think it's the same shot that gets repeated over and over again <laughs> yeah lula's mom you know it's, it seems like she's gonna have a bigger part than she actually does in the movie because she's in like the first 25 um minutes of the movie maybe 30 minutes into the movie mm. where she's you know telling harry dean stanton you know go find them and then she gets those gangsters and hitmen involved and then when the main gangster guy says i'm also going to kill harry dean stanton who she's in love with then mm. she regrets what she did <clears throat> so but then she disappears for like a lot of the movie well basically when we're in big tuna uh she's just like gone from the movie I think because it kind of sheds the earlier stuff, like it sheds the like parental kind of watch in the like they're like to kind of kind of tells you that they're on their own once they're in Big Tuna. It's just kind of very like wide open and lonely and empty. Okay, I like that. I never that ever really (laughs) crossed my mind. That's interesting. I like that. Um, So yeah, during the five years she has the kid, and then here from what I've read, we get a divergent path because there's there's uh david lynch read this book and he said he liked it except for the ending and apparently the ending of the book which i'm gonna ask you have you read i have no i have not okay i was just i haven't either i was just curious um but apparently the ending of the book has them just breaking up Hmm. and i guess that's how the book ends and david lynch said he didn't like that because he doesn't understand how we're following along on their journey together. They're madly in love with each other just for it to end up with them just breaking up. So he wanted to change the ending and he had the studios back on that too. He, he wrote it. He wrote an ending that was similar to the, to the book and the studio was like, no, we don't like this ending. Can you change it? And so David Lynch happily obliged where we do get a a moment where he does break up with her or you know he realizes he can't you know do this to her anymore he keeps going to prison bad things keep happening to him mm-hmm. um so he leaves her um you know in the car with the son um I'm trying to remember the name of it like cage no that's not right late it was I don't like think a, it was cage it couldn't have been cage no way no it could not have been cage that would have been like- <laughs> that would have been way too weird it was like a four letter word i can't think what it was but um I guess I could look it up. But uh he leaves the kid um uh and and Lula uh there um they don't say the name of the son in the Wikipedia. What the hell? Come on, Wikipedia, get better. Um anywho, he goes off and then he ends up getting jumped by a bunch of random guys. And he then sees the good witch, and it was at this point I had to squint my eyes and go is that Laura Palmer? <laughs> yep. Yep. It's Shirley. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so he just got like half the cast of Twin Peaks to be, <laughs> be oh, yeah. in this it, movie. It, I think it was simul- it, it, it's filming at the same time, I think. It would have been. It's it? a little bit around the same time. Yeah. Uh, the only people that were missing that I saw was uh, Ray Wise wasn't in it. And oddly enough, Kyle McLaughlin, who normally he does movies with. Yeah. But he's nowhere to be seen in this movie. Um, that was it, basically. Mm-hmm. So the ending of it just has him getting beat up. He sees <laughs> he sees he sees Laura Palmer, and then he wakes up, goes back, and then they he sings an El- the ending of the movie is him singing an Elvis song, "Love Me Tender," yeah. and very nice, like very nicely, I think. Like uh, Nicholas Cage has kind of a good singing voice. Do you think that's actually and... him though? 
It is. And is I it? have the soundtrack album, so I know that it is. It's actually him. Okay. Yeah. I'm curious. Okay, that's curious. That's very. I was very. I was curious about that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, let's talk about the soundtrack really briefly then. Um, Chris Isaac shows up. Oh well, there's a lot in the of so- in the soundtrack. What's that? There's a lot of Wicked Game. Wicked Game, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't know if you knew that. You knew this. David Lynch directed the music video for Wicked Game. Oh, I actually didn't know that. Oh, really? But that, may- but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, and Chris Isaac was in Fire Walk with Fire me. Walk with Me. Yeah. There's like a weird little triangle there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the soundtrack is actually pretty good. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of David Lynch's soundtracks, you know. I'm not a fan of like super slow, smooth, jazzy kind of songs, but for some reason, I like them in like David Lynch stuff. Um, yeah, they work with the they they work with what he's trying to do. Yeah, Valenti is usually his composer. Um, while uh, while watching the uh, Twin Peaks, the Return, the the new mm-hmm. twin new Twin Peaks, like yeah. every episode was like some new jazz singer doing a song for like five minutes, halting the storyline. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I would normally find that annoying, but for some reason it was like soothing to me. Like, you know, I we're getting kind of, that was a decision that worked. Like it was a, a, like, it we, like it was a weird, like variety show, like kind of, <laughs> kind of feel to it. It kind of was. It would just cut away to the roadhouse, and there would be a band. Oh my god, or Sharon Van Etten is just doing a set, like, and there's there there's Eddie Vedder just singing a song, like the for, Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> the Nine Inch Nails, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The Nine Inch Nails actually show up in what is probably the weirdest episode of The Return, yeah, um, right. which is about the atom bomb dropping and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, Again, like Mark Frost has a story beneath that mm-hmm. somewhere. You just kind of have to dig to. <laughs> figure it out yeah absolutely um why do you think nicholas cage didn't show up in any other david lynch films i don't like well i don't know anything for sure but i mean I okay know... theory what's your theory i guess i'll well, say Well, the reason he didn't show up in any coen brothers films after raising arizona was because he famously did not get along with them okay and like kept trying to do stuff that they didn't want like had different ideas for the character that they didn't agree with mm-hmm. so like they were at, totally at odds at what H.I. McDonough was supposed to be and they never wanted to work with him again. He never wanted to work with them again. Oh, really? So I don't know. I don't <clears throat> know specifically of anything that he got into with Lynch on this film, but I assume it was probably something like that. Like, Yeah, I find that interesting because again, this is this is still early Nick Cage, right? We're, yeah. we're in 1990. This film, movie was filmed like in 89, early 90. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think, I wouldn't think he would be that fool of himself at this point. But it's um, weird that, but like raising Arizona was what? 87 and like, something like that. Yeah. Cause I like, I remember watching it and being like, why, why like they, th- this is amazing. That Why didn't they ever work together? And it turns out like that performance was just like the result of like uh, the entire shoot of just back and forth between them, like disagreement between them and that like they they just did not work well together. So I don't I don't know for sure that like that's true of him and Lynch, but he was definitely by that time pretty committed to that, like like committed to his his vision of what the character should be even if it's at odds with the director. Hmm. I feel like David Lynch is such a, a personable guy that I can't see him having beef with anyone. 
And I'm not saying he doesn't. It's... There's probably people he doesn't get along uh-huh. with. But he, to me, just the way he comes off, he just comes along as this really nice, friendly, kind of down-to-earth guy who just yeah. writes really weird shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but like, Cage's <laughs> style would seem to be, like, <clears throat> really in line with Lynch's just, like, expressionist phase. Like, because I think there's, like, there's the David, there, there's a sort of David Lynch movie that's really cryptic and subtle and 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 quiet and then there's the kind of david lynch that's just like i'm gonna shout the i'm gonna shout the point of this directly at you and they're just gonna have like mad violent like super like i don't know wild out like expressive scenes and that's kind of like that's that's this version of david lynch and that seems to fit with nicholas cage's style I don't exactly know like can you imagine, like, if David Lynch directed, you know, um, uh, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans? <laughs> yeah, although he were, he he and Herzog are pretty close, <clears throat> so like they're they're like they're they're friendly. So yeah, uh, and Herzog, in interview, says he really liked working with Cage, so like, okay. and that he would totally work with him again. But like, it's yeah, it's a different. I I don't know what he would have done with that kind of. Like, like that was def- that was a very controlled performance in Bad Lieutenant, but it was mm-hmm. also just like everything visible. Like Nicolas Cage, I I, I cite this for somebody. I, I would give credit if I remembered who said it. Somebody said that like Nicolas Cage is the only actor who you could drop into a German silent film from 1922 and he'd be fine. Like, <laughs> like you can see everything in his performance. Like there's no real, like there's no subtlety. It's all there. Like, okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I, I like that quote. I gotta remember that. Mm. Um, okay, all right. I just, I, I just always thought it was really odd that like mm. Nicolas Cage just never showed up in any other, not even as like a cameo, like not even a quick like two minute thing in like you know Inland Empire or something. He just never, they just never worked together. It's such a missed opportunity. Well, that's what leads me to think that they must, there must have been some beef between. Maybe, them because, like, yeah, maybe because Lynch never rarely works with an actor works with an actor just once like there's so exactly. many actors who turn up in other things i think oh, did he work with defoe again i don't know if defoe ever i don't up know if he ever did i was gonna say or dennis hopper either actually i don't think he ever worked with dennis hopper again yeah, yeah. so there is like some interesting connections there that you know are people that he not worked with i don't know mm. very very strange um yeah. do you think um, do you think that it's true what I said that David Lynch can't make movies for critics? That critics just don't understand his stuff. I feel well. I don't. I feel like David Lynch can't make movies for anybody who is doesn't anybody who doesn't get David Lynch. Like I feel like it. Well, like critics are kind of, I guess, the ones who are expecting something else. Are like trained to, or are, are, are set up to expect something else from what he wants to give. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's true of a lot of, a lot of movies or a lot of filmmakers who are before their time. And I think like a lot of his, like a lot of his stuff is just kind of meant to be rediscovered years later. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I don't know, but but although like. I don't, know, I don't know. It's weird with it because Blue Velvet was a critical success by and large. Okay. 
That's mm-hmm. as was Eraserhead, as was the Elephant Man. But like by when he got to this, it was kind of when people started to split. I think. Yeah, um, I can see this being the dividing point. And after, like, this is kind of the point at which he stops becoming the uh, in-your-face, super, like, expressive, violent imagery and, like, linear story, David Lynch, and goes into the more cryptic phase. Because, like, when you look at what comes next is Fire Walk With Me, and people who went to see that were expecting coffee and cherry pie from the show, and what they got was... uh, like uh, incest and like what was the like uh, d- just this sort of really fragmented storytelling and David Bowie shows up for two minutes and like <clears throat> but people who like I feel like if you discovered David Lynch from watching Lost Highway or Mulholland Drive then Fire Walk With Me is more accessible to you you know what I mean like yeah and, and Wild at, and I think Wild at Heart is kind of the bridge between those two types because it is and it it is a it is a linear story like it doesn't it's not symbolic or well I guess it is symbolic but it's not uh, super allegorical in any way like it's uh it's pretty it 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 has a beginning a middle and an end but it's also got the kind of out there characters and the uh, Wizard of Oz imagery and like sort of like you yeah. can. Uh, it's a little bit of the dream type structure that comes with his later stuff. So I feel like it's it, this movie for me is like kind of stuck in between those two. Like, so I can see like, uh, like I, I, I can see how on rediscovery, like, like kind of like I said, only like only in the context of knowing David Lynch's work does this really stand out. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I can see at the time this being just a total like for any critics or anybody watching this at the time this being just like what is this like yeah um so you know roger Ebert, i'm from chicago so mm-hmm. roger ebert was like one of like my go-to movie critics because he was also he from for chicago. me too yeah and uh i loved watching you know you know at the movies when it came on and mm-hmm. i i often disagree with roger ebert but i respected the man he was yeah. he 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 did know what he was talking about even if he trashed some of my favorite movies and seemed to like shit that I just could care less about. Um mm-hmm. but he gave Wild at Heart a two and a half stars mm-hmm. and he admits in the review, if you look it up, that he does that something and he says something inside of me resists the films of David Lynch. Mm-hmm. I'm aware of it, I admit to it, but I cannot think my way around it. I sit and watch his films and I'm aware of his energy, his visual flair, his flashes of wits, but as the movie rolls along, something grows inside of me, an indignation and unwillingness a resistance. At the end of both Blue Velvet and Wild at Heart, I was angry, as if a clever con man had tried to put one over me. So he did not like Wild at Heart. I mean, he gave it two and a yeah. half, which is not bad, really. But it, it, he, you know, he goes on. I won't read the whole thing, but he goes on to yeah. says that he, he thought it was too, you know, melodramatic. He thought that there was like a joke that we didn't get. There mm-hmm. was like there was all the stuff he didn't like that he didn't like. Um, and um, my thoughts on it, you know, now we're getting you know towards the end here. I wanted to say, yeah. I liked it. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't hate it. I thought it was a little slow in parts. Um, 
But then as I was starting to kind of think it was getting slow, something weird would happen. Like, mm-hmm. for instance, that car crash in the middle of the desert. With Cheryl and Finn. Yeah. Like, that, yeah by the side of the road. Yeah. Which honestly had like nothing to do with nothing. Like, that never gets referenced again. Nor does that, you know, I mean, it does kind of like in the next couple of scenes they talk about it in the newspaper. But other than that, it doesn't go anywhere else after that. They just mention it briefly. Um, mm-hmm. But like, then that happens. Like, that scene happened. And I'm like, oh, okay. Then, yeah, there's Cheryl and Finn. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, with you know, kind of brain damage of sorts. Um, but uh, I enjoyed it. You know, I, I, I liked it. I didn't hate it. Um, mm-hmm. It was a very decent movie. And it's an interesting David Lynch film, and it's a it's a really good Nicolas Cage film, uh-huh. um, and I would probably I would probably watch it again. I yeah I would I would I would take, give it a few months or years before I put it on again. But I like I it was an enjoyable watch. Like it was, um, I think if I were watching this having no idea who David Lynch was or what his deal was, I would be completely lost i would be befuddled as to why like this is being told this way like one thing uh that stood out like and i think kind of is a sign for where he like i took note of this i think is a kind of a sign for where he was going at this point like the first scene is (laughs) is a sailor nicholas cage you know beating to death a guy i had to write this down the guy's name is bob ray lemon okay okay um which is I, it it sounds like it's out of a I don't know what like a like he's the saxophonist in like a fifties <laughs> like, uh, okay, but it begins with like this sort of horrible brutal beating um the uh, uh, and but then there's a parallel scene later where they're at like some roadhouse dancing and uh some guy gets in. Lula's face and Sailor kind of does the flip side of what he does in the beginning. Like he gets uh. in the guy's face, he embarrasses him, mm-hmm. and like he makes him apologize, and then he makes the met- the metal band behind them play Elvis. Yeah. Which <laughs> like that's like so it's kind of like I don't know, that's kind of like the dream version of what in the first scene is a nightmare like <laughs> he did the thing like in principle he did the masculine thing and defended her but instead of beating a guy to death he just does like a he does a safe thing like yeah. he, he he embarrasses him and yeah and, and and calls him out and then they <laughs> like the, the band switches to a completely different kind of music right. from what they were doing like as if it's like it kind of like the the over the rainbow version of the first part. So like, mm-hmm. I thought like that was something that could have been in Twin Peaks. Like that was, a, or, or could have been in like Mulholland Drive, which is the dream nightmare for, it's also like the parallel. Dream right, 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 right. So, yeah. Okay. So like I said, signs of where he was going, but it's kind of like weirdly stuck in a, like it's stuck in between modes for him. Gotcha. All right. Do you have anything else you'd like to uh, mention about Wild at Heart? Um, what was it? Like, uh, I just love Harry Dean Stanton, like in everything. Like he's he, he's he's like he he's the best thing about this movie, I think, for me. I can see that. um the 
the recurring uh, oh, the recurring use of the name Bob for an e- for to re- represent evil is a David Lynch thing. It seems to be like Bobby oh, Peru, like yeah. Bobby Peru, Bob from Twin Peaks. Like I, huh. like it's David Lynch go- going after that kind of like reg- suburban regularness and kind of, as kind of how it masks evil. I guess uh, that, that that I thought that was weird. Okay. Um. Yeah, and uh, just. I don't know, like this is uh <laughs> it's a weird I, movie I, it's a weird movie it's folks a, it's a weird it, movie. It, it's it's more like it's it's more like kind of a uh follow-up to blue velvet than anything else but oh oh the other thing like i noticed did you know did you notice that this movie has a sequel does it it's not official but it, there's another i, I caught I, I think it's on shutter actually i happened upon it huh weirdly like i didn't like, i didn't notice it before watching Wild at Heart again, but like I just happened to add it because it looked interesting. But it turns out uh, it's not a, it's not a direct it's not an official sequel. It's just based on another book by Barry Gifford, okay, with some of the same characters. It's called Perdita Durango. Oh, never heard. And of it's that. a it's a Spanish language film. It follows uh, the Isabella Rossellini character. Huh? Really? It's Perdita, and uh, I think it's. I want to say it's Salma Hayek. It's like a, it's actually a really like prolific cast. That's Hold interesting. Like, no, I did not know any about that. Anything about that. Wow. Uh, yeah. Oh no, it's, it's Rosie Perez. It's not uh, Salma Hayek. Uh, uh, and Javier Bardem. <clears throat> huh. What's it called again? Uh, uh, Perdita Durango. Perdita Durango. And it's on Shudder of all things, huh? Yeah, slash AMC plus. So yeah, it's interesting. It, yeah. I'm gonna have a, to look into that. It's an ethnically correctly cast uh, <laughs> version of the Isabella Rossellini character. Okay. With James Gandolfini, isn't it too? <laughs> oh, really? Is that old? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It's oh my God. Uh, 97. Mm-hmm. No way. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? I've never heard of this in my life. Well, neither had I before. It turned up. Like... <laughs> Holy shit! Okay, uh-huh. I'll have to definitely look into that. It's a '90s movie. Okay. Yep. All right. Wow. Ooh, you just blew my mind with that. Yeah. It was weird. And I saw it. I happened upon it just after I rewatched Wild at Heart. So. Okay. All right. Cool, man. Um, all right. Uh, well, if there's nothing else, we can go ahead and wrap up. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead and tell everybody where they can find you at online. Uh, so I am at torturously okay on Twitter. Uh, the, uh, I, it, just torturously. I believe my, uh, my, uh, my handle above it is something political right now, but it's at torturously. Okay. okay. Um, it, uh, torturouslyok.blogspot.com is where I very infrequently review movies. I think the last one I posted was nobody <laughs> like oh. last year. Yeah. Like in theaters or on video <laughs> on, it was on, uh, on streaming, but, uh, uh okay. That's not too bad. So it's, so it's like last summer. Oh, okay. Um, but it, yeah, like I, being someone who has the same career as uh, Lisa Leahy, I barely ever have time to write. <laughs> um, I, you know what? Fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, torturous at torturously okay on uh, uh, Letterboxd, and if you're in the uh, New England area, uh, there's an improv group called uh, the Bit Players that plays in uh, Newport, Rhode Island, uh, where I am most of uh, most Friday and Saturday nights uh, performing. So, okay. All right. Well, Jim, thank you so much for uh, coming on my show and talking about Wild at Heart and David Lynch and Nicolas Cage. Thank you for having me.
That's the bomb, yo. 90 hella rad movies from the 90s is hosted, written, and edited by me, Jason Soto. I can be found on Twitter at Famous Comedian, or you can email me any questions, comments, or concerns to rabbitholepod at gmail.com, spelled R-B-B-T-H-O-L-E-P-O-D. This show is a Rabbit Hole Podcast production. You can find this episode and several other great podcasts over at rabbitholepodcasts.com. And you can follow Rabbit Hole Podcasts on Twitter at Rabbit Hole Pod, R-B-B-T-H-O-L-E-P-O-D. Until next time, I'm Jason Soto, and remember... Wear sunscreen. Copyright 2022 Rabbit Hole Podcasts, rabbitholepodcasts.com.